Welcome to Grace This Weekend. My name's Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm thrilled to be walking us the next step into this series we've been in over the last handful of weeks called What's the Difference? We just heard, and uh, what we've been saying is what we want to do is take a good, hard look at, at the core message of what the Bible says. Right? If you boil down Christianity, if you boil down the message of Christ, what you would come up with is the message called the gospel. And the gospel just simply means this. It means good news. And we said what we want to do is we, we want to get a real clear understanding of that message. We want to get our hearts and our minds around the gospel. And then what we want to do is take kind of the, the systems of belief of the world. Think Islam, Catholicism, Mormonism, being a Jehovah's Witness, right? Some of these big things that we would focus on and hear about. And we want to look at these systems of belief and compare them to the message of Jesus, the gospel. And so we began to do that a few weeks ago. Pastor Jeff laid out for us a conversation on the gospel, and he kind of helped us to see what Jesus said and the core message of how to get right with God. And then last week, Pastor Joe led us into a conversation about Islam. He said, what's the difference between Islam and Christianity? And what we're going to do today is we are actually going to take a look at the Catholic faith, And we're going to look at the difference between what the Catholic Church would teach and what the gospel message would be. And even before we jump into this, I want to recognize that the Catholic Church is a bit different than some of the other world religious systems that we're going to interact with, right? Because we would fall into, if you kind of organize the religious systems of the world, we would fall in line with, in Christendom, kind of with Catholicism. And I don't know if you guys know my story. Some of you would, some of you wouldn't. I grew up really with no religious background. Um, if you looked deep into my family heritage, you would find a Catholic faith kind of deep back there. My great-grandmother, she died when she was 94. She was Catholic her whole life. My grandmother grew up going to Catholic church and Catholic school. She would walk away from the Catholic faith, really to, to no faith at that point in her life. And my mom grew up really with no religious background. And then I was a generation removed And so I met Jesus as a young adult and really was interacting with the Bible without any religious kind of uh, heritage or baggage, at least in my personal experience. And so for me, I kind of come at this conversation, I think, with, with an open set of lenses. And what I've always appreciated about the Catholic faith is their, their immense reverence for God. The Catholic Church has, has really kept some of the, the doctrines of the church throughout the years, and there's some things that we should definitely be thankful for for the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. However, there are some definite differences between what we would look at in the Bible in the message of the gospel and the message that the Catholic Church would teach and would communicate. And so we're going to keep the conversation pretty high level, and we're going to look at the differences between those messages. We're going to touch on a, a few practices that are going to come up, but there's simply not enough time to have a comprehensive conversation about the differences between any of these systems of belief in the gospel. So we're going to keep it pretty high level. And actually what I want to do is actually go back to a struggle that's going to show up even 2,000 years ago in the Bible. And it's actually going to be a very similar struggle, a very similar difference, we could say, to the differences between the Catholic Church and the church as we would see it through Scripture. And so we're going to dive into that. We're going to lay some things out here, of course, on the whiteboard. Uh, the creative arts team, this week they had an intervention with me. It was kind of fun. And so they sat me down and they said, Ryan, 
Um, we're going to allow you to continue using the whiteboard. I said, thank you. I appreciate that. They said, however, uh, you will not be permitted any longer to create your own stick figures. We will be doing that for you. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. So they helped me out. It was fantastic. So we're going to be looking in uh, the book of Galatians. This is really where we've been setting up shop. And uh, we're going to continue to be there throughout the rest of our series. If you have a Bible, you want to go ahead and turn there with me to the book of Galatians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or newer translation of the Bible, grab one from underneath the chairs there. And if you need one, you can take that home with you. Love for you to have your own copy of God's Word to be able to use anytime you need to. This letter or book of the Bible is written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, as you're turning there into chapter 2, verse 15, let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening. So Paul is pretty frustrated when he's writing this letter. He's frustrated with the churches in Galatia. It's a grouping of churches all throughout this region of Galatia. And in the chapter that we're going to be looking at, Paul is actually in a, a bit of an argument with another leader. He's actually rebuking the apostle Peter. One of the things you may or may not realize if you're just getting into studying the Bible for the first time is the church is a messy thing. It's not perfect, it's not pristine, and there were even disagreements among church leaders at times where they would drift or get off course. And in this situation, Paul had to oppose or rebuke the apostle Peter because he had drifted into this difference or this error we're gonna be talking about here in a second. But let me go ahead and read this, Galatians 2.15 and we're going to unpack these verses here in a moment. Let's look at it together. 2.15 of Galatians, Paul says this to Peter. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. He says, not sinful Gentiles, kind of tongue-in-cheek, because Peter had begun removing himself from associating with people who were not Jewish, even though they were Christ followers. That's part of the problem that's playing out here. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, he's being sarcastic. He says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul and his tone is reminding Peter of something that they have agreed on together, kind of saying, remember, Peter, we have moved away from this one approach to getting right with God, and we've moved to another one. And he's going to mention something here called works of the law, and this is worth double-clicking on. We have to really uh, get our heads around this struggle, and it's going to make all kinds of sense here by the end of how this connects to Catholicism. Here, the Jewish Christians are going to interact with something called the law. So when you think of all of the different rules that God gave, right? Think Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, right? Do not commit adultery, right? Don't steal. Don't kill. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't have any other gods above me, right? Th those kinds of commands and many, many, many others, all of those different individual rules and regulations would have been given by God to the Jewish people and together all those rules and regulations would have been thought of as a unit and they would call that unit the law, right? So they would think of it as one thing. Now, the law 
was given for a very specific set of purposes. Let me walk you through those real quick because the Jews were gonna, they were gonna misunderstand how and why the law was given. And this is gonna be the fundamental reason why they were in trouble with Paul. Okay, so follow it with me. The law was given for these reasons. The law was given by God, right, to people, to the Jewish people directly, and then eventually even for us, there's much benefit for us to help us to understand the difference between right and wrong, right? Th- think the heart of a father or a mother that's gonna look at their child and say, hey, don't do these things. These things will lead to death. These things will hurt you, right? Don't touch the stove when it's hot. It will burn you, right? That, that kind of thing. And, and do do these things, right? This is gonna lead you to life, and this is where wisdom is found. Focus on these kinds of things. And so God, as a loving father, would reveal his law to his people to help them to understand kind of what, what's up and what's down, right? What's right and wrong? What's gonna lead away from death and towards life? Another reason the law was given is God was going to communicate to his people who he was. This is how this works. See, when when God begins to communicate to his people, and this is what makes me angry, don't do this, right? This will break my heart, avoid this. Do this, make sure you always focus on these kinds of things. When, When God would lay out all these different kind of rules and regulations, what we can see from those is we start to understand God's heart, right? We get to see what he's passionate about. We get to see what makes him angry. We get to see what fires him up. And through that, people could see, oh, this is what God is like. This is God's heart kind of captured in a set of rules. And we can kind of understand a little bit more who God is through the law. Another thing that the law would do is this. The law, when you look at all of the individual pieces of it, right, these little boxes that are going to show up, when we try to keep these and try to do the things that God prescribes, what happens is inevitably we realize as we try to do a few of them, we realize if we're honest, there's no possible way we could do all that God required, There's no possible way that we could be perfect. And when we look at the law, we look and say, man, I am not like God. I am not able to do what God requires of me. I am a person who is sinful. I'm a lawbreaker. I am a person who is in need of a savior. So I get to see right and wrong. I get to know the heart of God. And I realize my need for someone to rescue me because I'm not able to do what God prescribes. I'm not able to fulfill God's will on my own. I'm a sinful person in need of a savior. Now here's what was happening. Here's what the Jewish Christians were wrestling with and drifting into. And here's what the Jews at large had drifted into before even Jesus came. What they were doing is instead of seeing the law through the appropriate reasons that God gave it, what they were trying to do is they were boiling down the commandments of the law and making them as doable as possible, right? So they were reinterpreting it into a way that it was actually doable, and then they were doing their best to keep all of these rules and regulations And what they were doing is they viewed the law, and they would call it here in the scripture, the works of the law, and here's what they believed would happen. If they were keeping the works of the law, they believed that they would be, here's your, your Bible word, 
they would be justified, they would be justified by the works of the law. Here's what justified means. You can put this in your notes. It's, it's to become right with God. It's to become right with God or becoming right with God. Right, so they would look and say, this is the way that we get right with God. We do the works of the law and then we become justified. Kind of at the end of the day, we hope this all works out and God will be pleased with the way that we have kept his law. Paul would look and he would say, right, in 15 and 16 here of Galatians 2, hey Peter, remember this whole thing? Remember, we said, verse 16, uh, we know that a person is not justified, not made right with God by the works of the law. End of 16. He says, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, remember, Peter, we agreed together this does not work. No one is ever going to be made right with God through trying to keep a bunch of laws. No one is going to become right with God by being a good person. That is not how it works. We agreed upon that. He's gonna say to Peter, why are you drifting back into that? Paul would remind Peter, he would say, remember, verse 16, that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in him. Here's how this works. Jesus, Paul would remind Peter, is the only one that has showed up on the planet and perfectly fulfilled all of the law in all of the ways that it was originally intended by God his Father. He never sinned. He was completely perfect in every way. And when Jesus had lived a perfect life, what he did is instead of just going to heaven without facing any punishment, he decided to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, and he died for all of us as the law breakers. He would be punished, he would be crucified, he would be buried, and he would rise from the grave victorious as the only man who'd never sinned, offering himself as a sacrifice for us. Paul would then lean into this and say, remember, we believe in Christ and what he has done, and when we did that, we became justified, becoming right with God, right? Becoming right with God through our faith in Christ. He said, when we made the decision to not believe this, to not believe that I would be justified through works in the law, but I would be justified, I would become right with God through faith in Christ. Remember, we decided to do that and when we were justified, all kinds of things became true of us that were not true of us before. The Bible would say that when we're justified, we are born again that spiritual life awakens within us and God himself lives inside of us. That we are adopted into the family of God. That we become part of the church in that moment. That our security is, is sanctified and we are made a part of God's family forever. We never have to worry about the, the state of our souls 
We are legally declared innocent before God. We are justified, that's what justified means. We have been made right with God. Paul is gonna look and remind Peter of this reality. We have moved out of here and we have moved into this realization. We have decided to put our faith in Christ and not in works of the law. Paul then would address a series of questions that would show up in the churches in Galatia, and these are the same kinds of questions that would show up even in our day and in our church. Verse 17 alludes to them, look at it. It says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, right? If if I'm seeking to be here, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if we abandon the law, right, the law kind of helps us control our behavior. If we go here and God has given us approval and favor all right now, what happens if people go and they go and sin a whole bunch? What what if they take advantage or abuse this grace, this favor that God has given us? Doesn't that mean that Jesus is a promoter of sin? That by dying on the cross for our sins and making us right with God, that he's encouraging people to go live a sinful life after that because they could take advantage of the grace that God has provided them. Watch Paul's response. He says, absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. He's saying, Peter, we're never gonna go back here, right? The the law in this system, this method of becoming right with God was destroyed when, here he goes in verse 19, he says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Here's what he's saying. If human beings, let's start with that last verse, if human beings could become right with God through doing stuff, Paul would look and say, "Uh, remind me again, why did Jesus have to come and die then? It doesn't make any sense. If we could just be religious, if we could just keep the law and and hope that one day that would earn our way to, to God and to rightness with him, why did Jesus come and die? What was the point of all that? Paul would say, no, we're never going back here. We've abandoned this fallacy, and here's where we're gonna live. We have been made right with God. When we have been made right with God, a series of things become true of us that were not true of us before. The Holy Spirit, Christ himself, lives inside of us, and he gives us a set of desires, and he empowers us to do God's will in a way that we were not able to do God's will prior. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus would say, will lead us into all truth. And when Jesus was asked, if you could boil down the whole law, what would you boil it down to? He basically said this, I would boil it down to this, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, 
and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We could say it this way, love God and love people. What happens when I am justified by faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me is now the rest of my life is being spent, being blown away that God would choose to love me that God would choose to accept me even though I was once his enemy and now I spend the rest of my life being led by the Holy Spirit. I do that imperfectly, of course, but I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me to love God and to love people and these acts are acts of worship where I say thank you for what Jesus has already died to give me. Here's how this works. I'm not living for love, I'm living from love. I'm not living for love, I'm living from love. I'm not living for approval, I'm living from the approval that Jesus has already given me. I'm not living to earn a rightness with God, I'm living to say thank you for the rightness with God that Jesus died to give me that I now possess by faith. That difference changes everything. And it fundamentally comes down to the core of how we believe we become right with God and how we interact with him. I was thinking about this uh, this last week. Some of you guys know this. I have uh, four kids between eight and two. So we're in the thick of parenting. And I tend to learn a lot of my parenting lessons uh, with my oldest, my son Uriah, right? Because he's kind of breaking into all the, the new stages first. And so right now, he's eight years old, and he is just, man, he's eager to please, right? He's just, like, fired up to help. He can finally, like, make a meaningful contribution. And so he's like, Dad, I want to help out. I want to do some more chores. And Lori and I are like, we're going to ride this wave as long as it lasts, you know? And uh, so, so one of his chores is uh, right now to feed the cat, Yes, we have a cat. It's an outdoor cat. Don't worry. Around here, we believe cats are satanic, right? So we keep them outside. And uh, right, so one of his jobs is to feed the cat, and he was wanting another job. And right, so I'm like, okay, I got to think of a, a little job he can do. And I'm like, buddy, why don't you uh, empty the dehumidifier? You know, it's humid outside. That thing is filling up constantly. And why don't you go downstairs? And I showed him, you know, how to get the little bucket out of that thing. And, you know, he's eight. He's strong, but he's still eight. So he's like waddling along, spilling water, right? Getting it up to the tank, emptying it. And I'm showing him how to do that. And I'm like, okay, but this is like your chore now, right? This is your job. It's a way you can contribute. And he's like, awesome. This is great. Right? He's fired up because he gets to like make a meaningful contribution. And so I come home and, and I love this, the, the look on his face when he like can't wait to tell me that he changed the dehumidifier. I'm like, this is amazing. I love this kid, right? So much fun. And then one time I came home and he looked, he was like a little worried, right? Because he's like, dad, I was trying to empty the dehumidifier. I spilled like half of it on the, the basement floor. Sorry, dad. I'm like, it's fine, bud, right? You're eight years old. You're, you're just learning how to contribute here to the family. That's great. Now, I was thinking about this, this little chore that Uriah has picked up. And I was thinking, man, can you imagine how dysfunctional and sad it would be if my son Uriah thought, I better empty that dehumidifier or my dad may not love me. If I don't empty that dehumidifier and do my part, I don't know if I'm going to be part of the family anymore. 
I don't know if, if my dad's favor will still last. Right? Can you imagine if Uriah was living for love, earning a relationship with his dad? How absolutely tragic would that be? Right? Right, right now, he, he's able to live from love. He, he knows he's going to be my son if he changes it or not, if he messes it up or not. I, I was driving home with him last night talking about this, telling him about, hey, I'm like, hey, but I told you a story about you, right, to all the people, and that happened. And he's like, okay, cool. You know, and, and I was like, hey, buddy, you, you know that if you don't change a dehumidifier, like, you know your dad loves you, right? He's like, yeah, right, like, that's a weird question, Dad, you know? And, and I'm like, that's right, buddy. That, that's, that's something that should be a no-brainer for all of us. And, and Lori and I mess up all kinds of stuff, right? But, but our, our kids know we love them. At least I hope they have that part. But guys, this is the difference between interacting with God in a way that I'm trying to gain approval rather than living from the approval that I already have living not for love, but from love. Changes everything. Changes all the motivations. Changes all of the insecurities. Now this becomes an act of joy and freedom, an act of gratitude, an act of worship, rather than a fearful act of insecurity and desperation a mandatory, obligatory thing I have to do. Rather, it becomes something I get to do. When I live not for love, but from love, it changes everything. Now, you, you might be asking, how does this affect the Catholic faith, right? Where are we gonna talk about that? Great question. Here's what we need to look at there are some driving factors within the Catholic faith that are gonna create a situation that is more like this than it is like this. And, and where, I wanna understand the background a little bit to that. Here's how it works. When we look at the Catholic faith and what drives it, it's gonna be different than the, the authority that's gonna drive this conversation. So when you look at biblical Christianity and you look at the message of the gospel, we would look and say, our top authority is Scripture alone. Scripture alone, right? So, so there's no tradition, there is no person, there is no leader that can rival or can stand on the same shelf as Scripture, right? Scripture alone is our authority. And because Scripture alone is our authority, it drives and creates a certain message the same thing is true in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has as its authority Scripture, right? They would call it sacred Scripture and something else, right? Sacred tradition is what, what uh, the Catholic Church would call it, sacred tradition. When you add something to Scripture as the same level of authority, when you add the practices of the church, or you add the voice of the Pope, and when you add these different aspects into equality with Scripture, what happens is a different message is created, 
and a different set of practices will erupt out of that authority. So here at Grace, and anyone who really locks into to biblical Christianity and to the message of the gospel, we would look at Scripture alone as that foundation, and our message is one of grace, God's favor, how do we get it? Through faith alone. Through faith alone. And so we would look and say, we are made right with God solely on having faith in Jesus Christ. That creates this situation right here where we live from love. When you have scripture plus tradition, what happens, at least in the Catholic tradition, is you end up with a message that says this. We gain God's grace through faith, and sacraments and works. This situation, this message is created by this authority and it leads to a situation that looks a lot like that. This is the difference between these two. One is for love and one is from love. Some practices that are gonna show up in the Catholic Church, we cannot be comprehensive and kind of touch them all. But some of the things that we would be familiar with or may have heard of are practices that would come out like this. We talk about um, things like praying to the saints, praying to Mary. We would look at that as a situation where it's something that we would need to do in order to move for love. We would say, you know what? What happens in our situation now is we are saints. Did you know that the Bible says that if, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, did you know that the Bible says that you are a saint today? Does that mean you're perfect? Absolutely not. It means that God, when he looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. And he values you and approves of you in the same way that he approves of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So we have no need whatsoever to pray to saints. And by the way, guys, all all these things we're talking about, these practices, I put some verses on the back side of your program. You can check all the verses out later. There's just simply not enough time to walk it all through. The Bible would also say uh, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We have no need to mediate through anyone else. We go directly to Jesus for that and we communicate through the standing that we have in Christ. Right? We, we would look at things like confession to priests. It, it, Confession is not something that we would need to do in order to be absolved of our sin. Our sins are cared for past, present, and future because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So we ask, do you still confess sin? Absolutely we still confess sin. Why? Because we love God and we love one another and so we confess our sin to one another. The Bible actually says that we are all priests now because of our faith in Jesus. And we help each other as the church. We help each other to be the people of God and to live in a manner worthy of this calling that we have as the family of God. 
What would happen here, a sacrament would show up and you enter the Catholic faith through baptism, through the work of baptism, right? For love. We would look and say, we are baptized as a response to the salvation that we already have and we can't help but make that public through baptism. We wanna celebrate this salvation that we already live in. Baptism for us is not for love, it's from love. We would look at things like the Eucharist and attending Mass, and that would not be a work or a sacrament for us to move in approval or a process of salvation. We would look at that and say, we would interact with attending church and interacting with communion as something that we do from love, reminding ourselves of the salvation that we've already been given, helping each other to know God more, and loving each other through that. All of these practices, right? All of the practices of the Catholic Church are gonna come up out of this foundation and they create a system where grace is bestowed through the church, through sacraments, right? Through the voice of the Pope. We would look and say, we here at Grace Church, we cannot bestow grace. We cannot give you God's favor in any way, right? Jeff Bogue cannot give you favor. I cannot give you favor with God. I don't do that. What, what do we do then? We point to the message of God's grace. This is the message in which we are made completely and totally right with God for all eternity through faith in Christ. Guys, here's where this gets tricky, right? When we begin to look at this, there's a temptation to look and say, does that mean that all people in the Catholic Church are believing the wrong message? I would tell you, I firmly believe there are people in attendance in the Catholic Church that practice Catholic things that believe this message, Kind of in spite of the teaching of the Catholic Church, they believe in grace through faith alone. I know some of them. And I'm positive that they are born again, followers of Jesus that have become right with God and they know it. So we can't look and say that across the board, Catholics have missed it. Some of our brothers and sisters are participating within the Catholic tradition and we need to know that maybe an equal caution. It's important for us to not think or to assume that because we are sitting in these seats and not sitting in pews down the road in a Catholic situation, that we have accepted this message. It's not a given. It's not a given. I think the question that God would have each of us ask is am I living for love or from love? Am I interacting with God and seeking to be justified from the things that I am doing or from the person that I have trusted in? That's a conversation and a question that is absolutely mandatory for us to entertain. I've got to look and say, man, I might, I might have been in church my whole life and realize that 
I always had an insecurity with God. I viewed him as the dysfunctional father that you were describing a moment ago, Ryan, and what I really need is I need this. I need the gospel. Pastor Jeff opened up the gospel for us a handful of weeks ago. He gave us a definition of it. I put it in your notes, and here's what the gospel message is. Here's how we defined it. Gospel's this. It's admitting that I am a sinner, that I'm a sinner, that I'm a person who has broken the law of God. I realize that I'm a sinner, and I realize that Jesus is the only Savior, the only one that can rescue me from my breaking of the law. What I do then is I realize that my salvation is received because of God's favor as a free gift. That, that Jesus gives me his grace when I put my faith in him. And I'm made right with God from the moment that happens, the moment that decision's made. You say, how do I do that? We, just, we said it this way, when I humble myself and I repent of my sin and I ask God for forgiveness, God, will you forgive me? I want the, the righteousness, the perfection that Jesus died to give me. I wanna be right with you. I want you to empower me to live in a way that says thank you for that sacrifice. Save me, I wanna be justified. You guys, I think for us, if we're in a situation, if we're looking at this board and this is making maybe sense in ways that it hasn't before, if, if we realize, even if we've been in church for 50 years or 20 years or 30, right? If you have been Catholic or you are currently even here at Grace and you realize that we're operating our interaction with God like this, that we're living for love and not from love, I have to engage the gospel and I have to interact with God and say, God, will you save me? Guys, if you've never done that before, own that decision. Would you tell Jesus, I want your forgiveness. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to be made right with God. You can do that now. You can do that today. Make that move. Own that difference and embrace the gospel as Jesus described it. I think for the rest of us, many of us would look and say, I I know that I have made that decision in the past. I've become right with God. I know that. I have a tendency, though, to drift back into interacting with God like this, where I feel like I have to pick up my Bible or God might smite me, right? I have to go to church because God might not, whatever. I can ask the question, am I living for love or from love? What are the areas of my life that are being driven out of insecurity in my relationship with God? And we want to make a move and say, God, help me to live like this, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and have the rest of my days following Jesus are simply a thank you for what Jesus died to give me. Guys, the freedom and the joy, right? It's Uriah waiting for his dad's smile. No no fear of judgment or punishment, the Bible would say that that is taken care of. Now we can operate in freedom 
and enjoy the salvation that Jesus died to give us? Am I living for love or from love? It's a question for all of us to wrestle through. Guys, I want to have the band come out and I want to pray for us. This paradigm shift, I think, can run deep when we get a hold of it. And I want to pray that for us, that we can begin to see God as the Father who enjoys us and wants relationship, not the judge that wants to condemn. Father, I say thank you now that salvation was 100% your idea. That from beginning to end, Lord, you were the initiator. You were the one that gave us the law and helped to expose our need for you. You were the one that sent Jesus to live perfectly and die innocently and be resurrected victoriously for us. Lord, we say thank you today. And Lord, I ask that you would burn into our hearts and minds what it means to live from love instead of trying to live for love. We want the freedom and the joy and the gratitude that comes with being led by your spirit, enjoying the salvation that you died to give us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.